0: I wanted to introduce myself. I'm Erica Turner from um, Bridge the Divide, which is a local group here, and um, I have, their cards out in the back. We have a couple of cards up here really focusing on racial reconciliation and how to get people at the table for discussions such as this. Um, we will really want to thank the Rivoli for allowing us to use the space. Um, we want to thank Cedarburg. Oh, there you uh, Cedarburg Public Library, Bridge the Divide, has a podcast that we do. And this is our, these are our lovely producers over here working on getting set up so that we can record. And uh, we also like to thank the Ozaki County branch of NAACP in joining with us on this venture. So, thank you very much. Uh, So if you have uh, an index card with a question, if you kind of hold it up, we'll get somebody back to pick it up. Otherwise, we'll have a live mic down this row, my mic. My husband Greg is over there with the other mic if you'd like to come up and ask questions. And we will um, introduce our guests. We have a couple of guests here. That's a real pleasure for us to have. Um, We have uh, uh, an award-winning journalist, Mr. James Causey. Yep. We also have here the uh, head grio for the American Black Holocaust Museum and uh, Nurturing Diversity Partners, Reggie Jackson. Come on up. <laughs> we have a, one mic right there if you guys can share, and I don't know if otherwise I can give you mine. So we really want this to be a community discussion. So we'd like questions from the community. Um, if you can come on up. We, we're not going to be able to hear you unless you come to a mic. So if you'll just come on down. I don't know if you guys want to had given any more details about yourselves while we get people coming down
1: Uh well first of all uh I didn't know I was going to be up here tonight <laughs> My wife and I just came to see the film I've actually seen it before but she hadn't she hadn't seen it the first time I saw it so we decided to come and then uh to stay for the talk back Uh pleasure to be here with James I this this is just uh I mean a treasure for Milwaukee uh outstanding uh, writer, reporter. I mean, this guy's uh gives me a lot of inspiration for the writing and I do also uh Erica uh works with my company Nurturing Diversity Partners. Uh she recently joined us as one of our facilitators, so she's been doing a wonderful job with that. And uh I was I was just telling my wife, you know, um after seeing the movie two times. Um the first time I saw it, I was I was very touched. It was very emotional for me and I thought that the second time it wouldn't be the same but I think I'm even more emotional after seeing it the second time than I was the first time because I kind of had time to contemplate it after I saw it the first time and and kind of to see it again uh there were things that touched me the first time that have kind of touched me again and then there were things that I didn't necessarily notice the first time that I saw this time that kind of Really, just made me reflect on some of my personal experiences and uh, personal experiences of people that I know in terms of interactions with the police that that weren't very positive interactions. And so, uh, it really—I mean—the movie just touched me in a lot of uh, in a lot of very important ways. And I'm I'm happy that you all were able to come out and see it. Uh, the the filmmaker, uh, Mr. Tillman. Uh, Grew up four blocks from me uh, in Milwaukee in the 53206 zip code. So um, it's it's an important film. Uh,
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be up here. Um, That movie was, uh, it sends you through a lot of emotions. Um, This is the second or third time I've seen it. Um, I grew up with George Tillman. We went to the same high school together, went to the same church together. So... um, when he completed this film, he called me and said, "Man, this is the best film I ever made." And he's made a number of films, but this was this is the one that he's been the most proud of. Um, one thing I could say about the film, I could relate to a lot of things in this film, um, especially being an African American growing up just in the United States. I'm not going to say in Milwaukee, but if you grow up in this country and you're a black male, um, you experience a lot of this. You know, I got to talk from my Actually, my mother, my father didn't really have to give me to talk because we actually experienced what um, being stopped by the police together. So I actually saw it myself and I've been stopped by the cops so many times. Oh, my God. (laughs) It it became routine where um, uh, it, it got to the point where, like, I just would pull over and be like, what? what this time now, what did I do? So you start to question yourself and in honestly being stopped by the cops, no matter how many times you get stopped. And I think I've been stopped me and my wife, um, at least a dozen times a piece. Um, uh, it, when you see that flashing light behind you, your heart starts racing. And you just want to do everything right because you know that if you do anything wrong, you can end up on the six o'clock news and, um, uh, like I said, it touches you, but um, one thing I could say about this film, please tell other people to go see it, it's one of those films that's very important, and I made this um, Facebook post after um, I saw it, and uh, George and his wife, who was in the film, she had a little cameo in the film too, Marcia Wright uh, Tillman, Um, we, we go see the movies like Black Panther, and go support that movie like five, six, seven times, but we don't come to see a film like this. You know, Black Panther for all it's worth, I'm I'm glad they made that film. It's 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 a wonderful film, but that's a comic. This is what happens to a lot of people every day. So it's important that we support these types of films too. You have a question?
3: No? Uh, I just Yeah I just have a couple of remarks in addition to what uh the panelists are saying, uh, we of the NAACP here in Ozaki County are trying to promote diversity. So when kids, regardless of their skin color, black, white, uh, when they go to Homestead or wherever they go, Wilson, um, they could know how to cope with each other. Each other. If they end up in the military... It's not a black U.S. military or a white U.S. military. They'll be able to unite here before they get to the Gulf. Um, it doesn't make sense um, not to enjoy a meal because it's, what, an African-American dish or a Chinese dish, or oh, uh, what about sushi, it's Japanese. So that doesn't make any sense. We just have one global village here to enjoy and celebrate for a while, and then we're gone. So we're trying to get the kids to understand that and love each other and share. You know, you never know. You, don't, you never tell a good Samaritan by skin color. There's no way. And I think the movie picks up a lot of that, too. I mean, there are many aspects, psychological, anthropological, historical even, but you can also see that when love is love, uh, skin color doesn't mean anything, Chris and uh, Star. So, um, I'm glad to see a a lot of young people around. We should always take them with us to occasions like this, um, believe you me, uh, this is history. Um, it's how we live, how we document it, and what we leave back to these kids. I'm the president of NAACP here in Ozaukee County, and uh, it's our executive members, and some here in the hall. I see Chair Holly over there, um, Pat is here. She's the chair of the youth diversity program. So feel free to belong, people. We have a lot to share. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I wanted to uh, just share with you all a little bit of the work that I do uh, along these lines. Um, so I've been um, a volunteer with America's Black Holocaust Museum since the summer of 2002 uh served two terms as the the chairman of the board of directors for the museum uh i was a person who made the announcement in 2008 when the museum closed due to financial difficulties and i've been part of a small group that's been working over the last decade to bring the museum back and we're very close to reopening um and we're very proud of that Um, but in the meantime um part of the work that I've done in collaboration with a a small group of of really just outstanding people, uh, Brad Pruitt, Dr. Fran Kaplan, uh, Virgil Cameron, several other people, we wanted to continue to do the work of the founder of the museum, Dr. James Cameron, even though we knew we were a museum uh, without walls. So we started a virtual museum online, Uh, it's at abhmuseum.org, and that uh, is a virtual museum, and it's, it's unlike any other um, museum website in the world. Most museum websites have a website to tell you about You know, uh, how much it costs to get in, what exhibits they have there, you know, the particulars about the museum. But our virtual museum is actually an online museum and has over 3,200 pages of exhibit material on a variety of different topics, including the story of Dr. Cameron uh, and the lynching that he survived uh, as a 16 year old in Marion, Indiana in 1930. And so as a result of us uh, launching that on his birthday in 2012, the museum has been visited now by over 5 million people in the last year from over 200 different countries. Uh, So there's a tremendous amount of interest in the museum. And part of the work that we've done to kind of extend the reach uh, is to reach out and do uh, a lot of community programming. So we've done a lot of uh, presentations. I've done... Over the last two and a half years, I've done over 200 different presentations in a variety of spaces, libraries, churches, businesses, colleges, universities. I've been traveling around the, the state of Wisconsin. Uh, we've done some work uh, outside of the state of Wisconsin, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, um, New York, uh, several other places. And, and part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to follow in the footsteps of Dr. Cameron. He wanted to take uh, the history that none of us learn in school. Uh, the history of blacks that's left out of all of our history textbooks that all of us, all Americans, have cheated out of this history. And to, reintroduce us to that so that we can understand how we got to this place we're in, where we have these racial dynamics that we have currently. He believed very strongly that if you don't know that history well enough, you can't really have a good conversation about race and racism. We have these conversations about race and racism all the time, but if they are devoid of people having an understanding, a clear understanding of the history, then you're not really having a very good conversation. You may feel good afterward, but, you're you're lacking enough information to have those conversations in a way that will lead you to the next step in the process, which Dr. Kim believed believe that once you learn this history, then you can have richer conversations and you can begin to work on the process of racial reconciliation and healing. And That's what we do. That's what the museum is designed for. So Fran and I decided about a year ago that we were missing an audience. We were doing a lot of work in Milwaukee, uh, but we wanted to reach out to the suburban communities, uh, to reach out to rural communities around the state of Wisconsin. So we started our company, Nurturing Diversity uh, Partners, uh, about 13 months ago, and we've been reaching out to, to communities throughout the state of Wisconsin. I've traveled to probably... Uh, I'd say close to 20 different communities throughout the state in all parts of the state. Uh, I'll be going to Wausau and Platteville and Green Bay within the next couple months. And we brought on a team of 23 wonderful facilitators that help us to bring diverse groups of people together to have conversations about these topics. Very difficult conversations to have, uh, but we bring these people together. Uh, and and it's been spectacularly successful because all of the work that we get through the company has been through word of mouth. We haven't had any money to advertise, but people keep reaching out to us. We keep meeting wonderful new people to collaborate with. And we we think it's really important that people get to this place where you're comfortable having these conversations. For so long, we as Americans have been uncomfortable having a conversation, even mentioning the word race or the word racism. People still, in many cases, they whisper when they say those words. It's time to get past that. And so what we try to do is bring people together to to, to get an understanding of why we can see the exact same thing in such a different way. Just as you saw in the film, the reaction of the people in the black community to to the shooting of Khalil versus the reaction in the white community to the shooting of Khalil. The same exact event, the same footage that everyone saw on television, but the reaction was completely different. And the reason the reaction is different is because of our lived experiences are so different. We live in a very segregated society. We have probably heard that Milwaukee is the most segregated metropolitan area in the country. That definitely impacts the way we see things. But part of what we try to do, and I know James has done a lot of this with the work that he does, is to give white people an ability to see the world through black eyes, through our lived experiences. You know, James has talked a lot about his experiences growing up in Milwaukee, his family's experiences. I've done a lot of that, you know, personal uh, perspective of my lived experiences. And it 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 opens up a way of seeing the world in a way that most whites who live in communities where there are little to no people of color to get a different perspective on things that happen. And likewise the work that I've done traveling and meeting all of these people, I've gotten Different perspectives on how white people see the world around them as well. I've learned to understand the diversity of lived experiences of people uh, instead of stereotyping people and assuming that people from a particular community have the same background and same experiences. We have such a diverse lived experience in every community in our country. And it's time for us to begin to to, to come together and share those experiences, build those relationships. To me, the greatest tool to get to where we're trying to get in terms of racial reconciliation and healing, the greatest tool available to us is a simple conversation that leads to a new relationship with someone that we never imagined having a relationship with prior to.
0: I want to ask you a question. I know that you've done, James, a lot of work with trauma and race and children mm-hmm. so we have star who saw the deaths of two of her friends before she turns 18 right. or 17 and then we have Sakani who has seen all of this and then has a weapon in hand exactly. what's supposed to happen with those children how do you un- you can't unsee it what what happens to them now what have you seen happen to Well
2: the, the underlying um, thing that occurs in this film is trauma. I mean, there's trauma with seeing someone shot. There's trauma associated in code switching. There's trauma associated with just living in in a neighborhood where you see gun violence, you see drug dealing, you, you hear dogs barking all the time, you hear ambulances all the time, you hear all of this. That's trauma. Um, I think um, I have a project coming out on 53206 uh, that will take a look at this urban garden program on 9th and Ring called the We Got This program. And it's uh, every summer uh, for 10 weeks, uh, little black boys ages 12 to 17 years old, they go to this urban garden um, on 9th and Ring. In 53206, which has been labeled one of the most incarcerated districts in the United States. And these boys show up every Saturday and work from 8 to 12. And um, the person who runs the program, uh, Andre Lee Ellis, uh, he formed this urban garden program to. You know, give kids a job, give them the responsibility of getting up every morning, every Saturday morning, and coming to this garden to learn about gardening. But he, he pays them $20 for their four hours of work, mostly to get them into this, um, having a relationship with a mentor, where they could talk about some of the traumas that they've seen in their neighborhood. So, um, if I can, I'll give you a brief example of some of the things I've heard just being in this garden every Saturday. Um, the kids will go clean up the neighborhood. They come back, have a little snack, and then they go with a mentor in, a, in small groups of like 10 people, 10 kids, and they're talking to this mentor about some of the things that they see, hear, and get a feel for. And there's not one kid in a group of 10 who doesn't know someone who was shot and killed. There's no one in this group of 10 who hasn't seen... Uh, a loved one beaten or stabbed there's no one in this group of 10 who um, hasn't uh, in, in experienced some level of uh, being homeless those are traumas so uh, one thing that we have to do when we talk about kids not graduating from school kids uh doing terrible in school and things like that we have to address their traumas before we can even think about them passing a a math test um I did this uh did this um project last year um, where I took a look at my old uh elementary school class, a class of nineteen I'm dating myself nineteen seventy six my third grade class in nineteen seventy six and I just wanted to find out what happened to us, what happened to my third grade class and I chose that year for a number of reasons. It was the first year my parents bought a house. And um, we were living just three blocks away from my elementary school, Samuel Clemens. And I tracked down all 30 of my classmates to find out what happened to them. And a majority of them have experienced bouts of incarceration, either them or a loved one, uh, bouts of unemployment, and bouts of not being able to purchase a home or having housing disparities. And that plays a tremendous, it, it, it impacts everything that you do. So um, one thing I just want to want to point out is until we address these traumas, nothing will fix itself. And police experience trauma as well, because think about it. They go from one traumatic scene to another, to another, to another. And I know police have a tough job. I understand that we all do. And we all respect police. But there's no way. That we could think that a police officer could go from one traumatic event to another to another and not have any kind of trauma that they're experiencing themselves, right? So why do you think they go to the gun real fast? Because that's trauma. So so you have cops that have, have experienced trauma, policing people who have experienced trauma, and then you get these situations that occurred in the film. I don't know it's just a different way of thinking about it.
0: Um, My name is Joy Schroeder. When I see a film like this, this was very articulate. (laughs) I think um, it should be mandatory for all high schoolers to see it or something like that. Is there any kind of movement to make this film be available and be seen in schools?
2: I, I do know that um, that was that was a big deal for George to make sure a lot of people saw this, so he had special screenings and things like that for a lot of young people to see it. But at the same time, this is Hollywood. So, you know, he's dealing with budget issues. So just so you know how budgets work, you have a budget, you know, and this was considered like a low-budget film. What was the budget? Um, something like $25, 30000000 million. Sounds like a lot. But you have to cover that cost so you know and he hasn't made quite made his money back yet because we don't go support films like this so yeah it's it's wonderful it'd be great if we could take our kids to see these films but we took our kids to go see black panther wow. we t- five six seven times we took our kids to go see the latest iron man film we take our kids to see all these other films so Yes, it's important for not just our kids to see, because our kids know what, what's going on. It's important for other people's kids to see this. So um, that's, wh- that's where it gets into this budget thing. And, and to me, it's kind of amazing that a film like this that I think should win awards just never really gets the kind of push it, it deserves.
1: You know, I, I think it would be great if more people could um, could see the film. Uh, Whether they're young or old, it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, I I think from the perspective of of, uh, black people, you know, when we see movies like this, this is like, for many of us, this isn't something new. This is like, this is part of our lived experiences. And and we are very familiar with these types of stories. And I think that's part of the reason that we don't go to see them. uh, Because we already know the story. Uh, We could be star. You know, we could we could be the person who's telling this story because so many young people, just as the ones that James talked about, who work with Andre Lielis, could tell very similar stories to Star. So I think that's part of the reason that there's less interest in these films for them. But I think the way to get past that is to actually do something like this, to engage in some type of conversation after the film so that people could kind of share their feelings uh, their experiences related to something similar to this in the, in the film. I think if we're going to, you know, address it for young people uh, in the schools uh, to address it in the way that they're able to kind of share some of their own personal experiences so that it's not just a movie. You know, we, we went to see black Panther and some of these other movies, cause that's a fantasy. That's this fake world that we wish existed and we could be one of those characters, but eh, not too many young kids were saying, man, I wish I could be in that experience in that film because they've experienced it or something similar to it. So it's always very difficult to do that. Uh, And, and obviously George made the film with the expectation, obviously you make movies to, to make money. I mean, it's part of the way the system works, but I think that, What's more important about the film are the messages in the film. Just as, as James said, there are so many emotional moments in the film. There's so many lessons in the film. When, when I saw it the first time, I, I wrote an article. I, I write for an online newspaper called the uh, Milwaukee Independent. I write two columns a month for that. And I wrote an article uh, right after seeing the film, that week after I saw the film, um, called When the Skin You're In is a Weapon That They Fear. And I talked about how... Every day that I get in my car and I'm driving around the city of Milwaukee to different places, anytime I see the police, even if they're not like directly behind me and the flashing lights are on, there's a there's a reaction immediately uh, because just as James said, getting pulled over uh, as a black person, especially in Milwaukee. Even if you're in a neighborhood that's a predominantly white neighborhood, the chances of being pulled over in those neighborhoods are higher than it is if you're living in an all-black neighborhood. You know, uh, data from the Milwaukee Police Department showed that there's one particular district where blacks only make up 3% of the population in that district, but they were 67% of the people pulled over in that district. So these are experiences that we have on a regular basis, and these are things that I think white people need to become more aware of. Fortunately, we have, you know, video cameras on our phones, and we've seen all of these viral videos over the past five, six years. And I believe that that people are beginning to wake up to the reality of the fact that even though we've been shouting these stories, just as Star said at the end of the movie, we, we've been telling these stories, we've been shouting it, nobody's been listening. But finally, people are listening, people outside of our community are listening because they're seeing the evidence that we've seen with our own eyes. And I think it's important that we expose I think the film is is more important for white people than it is for black people, because these are the things that you don't know happen. You don't understand the poverty within certain black communities. I tell people all the time I've been doing a presentation called "The Hidden Impact of Segregation, looking at how we became the most segregated community in the country, but then looking at the intersection of poverty and the loss of high-quality manufacturing jobs and what that did to the neighborhoods that we grew up in. The neighborhood, when when I lived in 53206 as a little boy, it was a great area to live in. Everybody had jobs. You know, A.O. Smith employed a lot of people from the area. People worked for PAPS and American Motors and Schlitz. and I mean, there were just a, 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 just a ridiculous number of good jobs. But when you go there now, it's not like that. Milwaukee, since 1963, has lost 91,000 manufacturing jobs. Those are the good jobs, the high quality jobs. Those are the jobs that actually brought black people to Milwaukee. What happens to a community that depends on those jobs and those jobs go away. That's what happens. Those communities like you saw in this film, that that community is, is basically based off of Ferguson, Missouri. It's the same thing in community after community where blacks are just suffering economically and all of those things that come with people not having regular work, All of those negative things that come with it and people outside of our community need to begin to understand it's not that people don't want to work, that people are lazy, that people aren't educated properly. It's simply the jobs are not there. And in many cases, they're too far away for people to get to. You know, the only growth in manufacturing in our region since 1963, the only place i seen a growth and increase in manufacturing jobs has been the wild counties, Waukesha, Ozaukee, Washington County. Milwaukee County has lost, uh, I believe, 20, uh, 26,000, no, 30,000 manufacturing jobs in the suburbs of Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, 91,000. But there's been a growth of over 44,000 manufacturing jobs in the suburbs and Milwaukee County transit system doesn't take you there
2: and uh, you know we talk about manufacturing jobs a lot but what what a lot of people don't understand is that manufacturing jobs were the jobs that sparked other jobs to take place like for instance and in, in when i started my project and i, I looked at um, my old classmates from that class in 1976 in 1975 ao smith employed 5000 workers right so think about that's 5000 workers but add all the other jobs that those people helped, you know, they, they those workers bought cars, so it meant that you know the, the auto dealerships did well. So that meant people were employed there. That people had to keep their cars fixed up, so that that created another sector of jobs. People had this excess mo- money, so they wanted to go out on a Saturday night. So guess what? When A. O. Smith was booming, Capital Court was booming. <laughs> So if you think about the connection, because people want to go out, so they had money to buy clothes. They had money to go to the movies. We had a movie theater then and all these other things. So it creates other jobs. People went out to eat more, you know, and not just fast food. I'm talking about real sit-down restaurants. So we had more sit-down restaurants then because it created these other jobs. Because when I hear manufacturing jobs, I, I, I think to myself, I don't want to work in manufacturing. That's not my fault. (laughs) <laughs> when, I, when I think about manufacturing jobs, I don't think that that's something I would have wanted to do. But I think about the other jobs it helped to create. And when you think about that, those 5,000 jobs probably created another 20,000 jobs. So you got to think it like that. You know what I mean? And a lot of people don't make that connection. And, an, and another thing, I'm sorry, another thing you said is about we have all these cameras now, but things are still messed up. Because we still look at things through a different lens. And that's one thing that this movie pointed out. And, you know, God bless this movie, but we know, you know, if it's a cop shooting, things don't end up on TV that fast and, you don't know, go to a trial that fast and all this other stuff. That was done for film. But um, when you have a cop shooting and it could be as plain as day and night uh, to us, it may not be day and night to other people. So... It's the lens you look through, and your lens is shaped by where you live, how you grew up, the things you experienced.
0: I have a question from the audience, and I want to remind you, I mean, we're in Cedarburg in Ozaki County, and we have two very intelligent gentlemen here. This may be the only time you get to have them in a room like this, so please come, come ask back. questions. Okay, they'll come back. Good. So the question that we have is, if every policeman had a taser and body uh, cameras, And every squad had a video recorder, would that help make the police uh, help the police make better decisions and improve justice? (laughs) Expound.
2: No, uh, because that just means more police will get shot. You know, because if, just think about this, you know, if you're a bad guy and with a gun and you're robbing someone, you know, the cops are just showing up with tasers, come on, man. No, no, (laughs) it won't change anything. I think we need uh, and let me go back to jobs. A lot of people say jobs fix will fix a lot of our ills, not necessarily right away. Again, we have to address people's traumas to get them ready for work. I think it's been so long since people had you know, experience what real work looks like, it becomes a generational thing. And so now we have to go back and help these kids understand because a lot of these kids, you know, their fathers missed out on that opportunity. So they didn't work or have stable work. So when their kids are coming up, they didn't probably necessarily see that. So now you have to go back and fix a lot of that, you know, and especially in a zip code like 53206, the most incarcerated Zip code, or one of the most incarcerated zip codes in the country, a lot of men have been taken out of the work field because they've been incarcerated. And then once you're incarcerated, it's hard to get work. Nobody's going to hire you if you're a felon. Nobody's going to hire you when they see your resume and, and they see that, hmm, you haven't worked for like 18 months or two years. Hmm, it doesn't take a genius to put that together. Or you haven't worked for five or six years or 10 years, you know, and then you're trying to get a job. So, I mean, uh, that that comes into play. And I will just add this, too. Um, Jobs help. uh, Transportation helps. But until we address the issue of race and racism and really have real conversation around that, it's very, very difficult to get past that hump. You know, it's one of those fights that, you know, I, me and my wife have had this conversation many, t- many a times. Yeah, you could find work in other places, but do you want to experience the racism that it would take to get out to that place, stop by the police, harassed by people who don't like you, and all this kind of thing just to get a paycheck? Sometimes it may not be worth
3: it. He, he, uh, I would like to eject some things to what the gentlemen are saying uh, and to applaud the gentle lady for the question about making this movie available to high schools and high school kids. Well, from a personal experience, I had a fight with the dean of uh, the MATC North Campus back in 93 because he would not let my students who were largely white to visit the Black Holocaust Museum for which Uncle Cameron, he just mentioned, I used to call him Uncle Cameron, real nice guy. He, the dean said, well, you shouldn't even go downtown because you'll be robbed and raped, period. Don't even worry about MATC downtown. So I took this guy on. I convinced my students, you need to visit the Black Holocaust Museum. Of course, I was teaching African-American literature, and uh, they they, they don't know anything about black plight. So they took a bet because they trusted me, went down, Uncle Cameron showed them the news. He was going to be hung on the third news. I remember that. They saw slave shackles. They saw Ku Klux Klan outfit. I mean, everything from the great passage from Africa to the United States. Things that our young white kids don't understand an experience they've never lived. And they grow up to be parents, still don't know it, and their kids don't know it. So yeah, we believe in this educational aspect of black experience, of race and racism. Um, uh, we, we don't need any scientist to come in here and tell us that you could, you could be walking down in Cedarburg and a little white kid who has never seen a black, if they saw me, they would try to grab their parent tight. Like, who is this? You don't blame them. We are the experience we live. So if we can expose this, it will be up to us to go back to uh, our school districts, um, high school principals, superintendents, Dr. Means, used to be the superintendent of mequon Thinsville, and we did a lot of work to expose our communities to some of these issues. Um, the unemployment thing he's talking about uh, is so sad because it came with the jobs exportation from the United States to China to exploit cheap labor. How do you expect somebody in the United States to get up in the morning, and jog to China work and jog back in the evening to the United States. There's no way. So all the, 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 the jobs he's mentioning were shipped up out of here by President Reagan's policies Say, hey, we're going to exploit cheap labor in China. Okay, we don't need these here who compl- they want everything. They want benefits and blah, blah, blah. Well, the jobs now go to China. What do the Chinese do? They copycat everything, whoop us around the world, uh, price it down to dollar three, and then borrow us money. And then President Trump is angry with the Chinese. See, so lack of education and race, particularly race and race relationships, keep bringing us backwards. Uh, We're here tonight thanks to these two gentlemen here who are live experiences of star and many young ladies here, young boys. If they, didn't, if they weren't exposed to this, if, if they didn't allow this to happen, we wouldn't even have this. So if each and every one of us here is able to make an effort to open up, invite these guys, invite more of this, even during Black Celebration Month um, and so on, it will really, really help. Why is Dr. King's holiday important? Why is it important? What's the significance? So we go into history. If you touch any of these cardinal points... You are really enriching yourself in a black experience.
0: Thank you. We have just a little bit of time left because there is another movie after. So, I want, since I have the mic, I get the last question. Um, I'd like to know because we are out in Ozaki County and we're talking to folks that live here, people that go to school here, what is it that they can do? What is it that if you are a teacher and you have a classroom full of students, what can you do? If you're just a resident, what is it that we can do to improve things now? That sounds simple uh-huh <laughs> we have we have an answer a simple answer it's not tolerate racism. We have to all stand up to it when we see it and we know it's there yeah,
4: yeah. I can give a little feedback. Um, I can't say anything or add any more to the conversation than you've already done. Um, I was touched by the movie. I have tried to uh, expose myself to the Black issue. Um, We just went to a uh, program. Yeah, yeah, issues. Excuse me. Well, you see, that's the issue. With me, is I can't say anything that doesn't offend. No,
2: I'm not. not But I no,
4: I'm on your side. I'm on your side. (laughs) We just went to a thing down at Marquette University. A project return. And uh, my wife and I are trying to expose ourselves to the issues. And the problem is we're busy living our white lives and it just doesn't seem like there's time to bring in other things. And to me, that's the problem is we need to start, stop living our white lives and start opening up to um, participating.
1: Well, I just want to address what people can do. To me, the first step is education. We are the most miseducated people on the planet Earth. We love to brag about how intelligent our society is and how great our schools are, but we are such ignorant people of our own history. When we begin to learn that history, part of what we do with Nurture and Diversity Partners is we share some of these hidden parts of our history so that people can then leave that space that we have them in, that space that they feel comfortable having that conversation, and we tell them, go out and have those conversations in those other spaces. So when you go home, have those conversations with your family, have those conversations with your neighbors, have those conversations with the people at your church, have those conversations with your coworkers, because it doesn't matter if you're able to get into a space where you can actually do the work. You do the work wherever you are. You don't have to go any place. There's no magical place you have to go to do this work. You do the place wherever you do the work wherever you are, and and one of the things that to, to go back to uh, addressing racism, I'm sure that plenty of you have been in spaces where you heard people make racist remarks. What did you do? How did you react? You've been at Thanksgiving dinner when Uncle Bob says the same racist joke he says every Thanksgiving. How many of you said something to Uncle Bob that that bothers me? You have to have the courage to do this. And a lot of people, they they simply don't want to lose those relationships because it's very difficult to have that conversation. But listen, if we don't change it, then nobody else is going to be there to fix it for us. We have to take it on as individuals. Individuals come together. Every movement that's ever been significant in human history has started with one person. Every movement. Whether it be a movement that's, that's, that's uh, you know, this great movement that we all know about or some small movement, it started with one person. You have to take it upon yourself to say that I want to be a change agent. I want to change the people that I have influence on. So you, you have to be very courageous, and it's not easy. You don't have to leave where you are to do the work. This work is it needs to be done all over the country, in every community. And if you can bring in people from outside of your community to help with that, That's wonderful. If you can't, that's okay too, because you can still be just as powerful doing the work wherever you are as you can by leaving your community. But educate yourselves. If you want to learn about the African American experience, continue to see films, documentaries made for and about African Americans, read books written. by African-Americans about their experience. Learn about Native American history. Learn about the history of different Asians. You know, we we, we talk about race as if it's a black-white issue all the time. Read and learn about the issues that the Native American community has had. Read about the issues that the Asian American community... I mean, there's so many communities that have had these issues that we don't talk about. It's a much bigger issue than we've been led to believe. But most importantly, remember this. It's taken us 400 years to get here. It's not going to change overnight.
2: I have a slightly different perspective on what you could do. Um, and I, I think back to my grandfather who grew up in, um, in Gloucester, Mississippi. My grandfather was a farmer and he and in, in the community that he lived in, he lived around all blacks, mainly. And um, my father my grandfather was very successful as a farmer. He um, had his, He went to church. He was a deacon on a deacon board and all this kind of stuff. And the community was tight-knit with his friends being mostly African-American. The problem with my grandfather wasn't just the racism or people making racist jokes and things like that. The problem with racism is that when it impacts you financially, that's when it becomes a serious issue. My grandfather was turned down for loans that he could have used to make his farm larger because he was black. He was turned down from a lot of opportunities because he was black. So I, this goes much deeper than people making jokes or, or, um, um, you know, making racist comments or holding up, uh, you know, the Heil Hitler salute and things like that. Like the boys in Baraboo did. When it starts to impact you financially, and it and it has that, and 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 you can see it in neighborhoods, how neighborhoods are like cut off, and and nobody thinks about them until crime needs to, until the crime rate explodes, and then we have a Sherman Park situation, and now everybody's talking about it. That's when it's that's when it seems like it gets on everybody's forefront. But you know, we we all know somebody races in our in our own small knit communities we all know that exists so addressing that won't change things but when it starts to impact you financially which it does in a lot of our communities that's when it's a problem that's what we need to change and leadership can help change that
0: righty. this will be our last question
5: well, it's more of a statement. Uh, um, statement. Sorry, yeah, Angela Rester, and there's the so much I could say about this. And I successfully worked in Menominee Falls to change attitudes, and we got the first transportation out for the four industrial parks out there, which was modeled here in Ozaki County and also in New Berlin and Oconomowoc. But I guess the other thing is what we have to attack is the, um, the policies and things that we institute in communities. Uh, It was 1992, the last time that there were rental agencies that quietly screened who got into communities and who didn't. We have people in this community who I've talked to and and argued with and fought with and challenged because they're like, you know, they just got to learn to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We keep hearing about the bootstrap mentality. And by God, they don't say, well, wait a minute, oh, wow, we didn't give them the opportunity for home ownership after with the GI Bill. We didn't allow them to live in the community. We didn't create an opportunity for transportation to jobs that could help them keep food on the table and a roof over their heads. We have systems that we tell them the father can't live in the home because uh, we're going to give you money, but they can't be there. And then we target and ask, why are the fathers not present and why aren't they families? And so, what we have to work at, all of us, because this is the crowd that already gets it to some degree, but there's, you know, another thirteen thousand people right in this neighborhood, in this community, who don't get it. And when I moved here, I had a white male on this street out here saying to me, "Oh, we've, now we got two of you in in Cedarburg," and he was shocked because Mequon's usually the buffer zone. So I've been through it as a Latino. I've grown up with this my whole life, but by God, we've got to push back on policies, procedures, our government, and the way we do things. And the most important thing is we've got to change people's inferences, what's behind their nose and not what's in front of it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Please join me in thanking Mr. James Causey, Mr. Reggie Jackson. I appreciate you coming. Take a snack, take a card. And we have to make our way out for the next group to come in. Thank you very much.